Before we get started with this week's edition of Bench with Bubba, let me talk to you about Draft. Draft Draft.com is one of the coolest new ways to play fantasy sports. You get to draft against, you know, three, five, ten-man competitions. There's new drafts starting every five minutes. Your chances of winning on Draft are over 80% better than salary cap sites. That's why you need to try Draft. No more getting crushed by the pros. More than one million people have already downloaded Draft. You can play in real life NBA, NFL. They have NHL. PGA is a great one. They have MLB. They have them all. It keeps getting better, better, and better. Drafts usually finish in under five minutes. You get paid the next day. The event finishes, but they're fi- and they're filling fast. Every second, drafts are filling. They have them up until your games begin. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit. And you have to use the promo code SD Sports. All one word, SD Sports. That's right. Playing a real money draft for free by using the promo code SD Sports. But it gets even better. Draft is so sure you'll love it that they're even offering a money back guarantee up to $100. Just search Draft in your app store or go to draft.com and come play for free right now with promo code SD Sports. Void or prohibited, must be 18 or older. See website for details. Offer must be redeemed within 14 days. Now to this week's edition of Benched with Bubba. everybody to another edition of bench with bubba episode 70 more fantasy baseball talk tonight uh first off check out the podcast it's on soundcloud spreaker stitcher itunes rate and review all that good stuff and to talk some second baseman and a couple other things tonight we're bringing back a guest we've had before you can find him on twitter at fantasy underscore keith he's a part of the fantasy front office baseball prospectus fan tracks fan graphs Probably a couple other sites next month. I have no idea. He's everywhere. But Keith, how are we doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Good, good. It's great to have you back. Uh, last time we talked a lot of Arizona Diamondbacks. We're not going to do that this time. Um, we're going to talk some other stuff, but uh, it's going to be a good one. I have a feeling. Good stuff here. Um, before we get into kind of more structured news, I always like to break down some of the recent transactions. So it's been slow so far, obviously. But you, as a guest, get like two transactions, which is amazing. So let's start off with um, the Rangers signing Swang Hong Oh, I'm going to butcher that. Just remember Oh, He uh, was a closer for St. Louis, obviously didn't finish well last year. I thought the Rangers got a deal on this. But we're not worried about that aspect. Fantasy-wise, I think there's a lot more relevancy here than in St. Louis. What's your thoughts? No, you nailed it. Oh had a really struggle – struggled last year after being dominant in 2016. Um, and I think some of that dominance could come back here in 2018. Uh, so I think I agree with you. The Rangers got a pretty good deal. I think he has a, a, a fair enough chance to kind of lock down that um, eighth or at least ninth inning position and, and get some saves for those guys. So owes somebody who I'm pretty interested in, you know, late in drafts. If somebody's kind of iffy on whether or not he can return to form, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with that pick. Yeah, you got to love his chances. Uh, I always thought Keona Kello was their best option, but they were going with Claudio, who to me was all smoke and mirrors for the most part. So I think O is going to have a great shot to to make it happen, get him late in drafts right now. He's one of those, you know, 20-something teams where they have like four guys that might close by the end of the season, so you don't know what you're going to get. Let's go to New York. The Mets, another team that kind of got a discount here. I know he's older, but Todd Frazier is still going to get you, you know, big-time power potential, doesn't steal – quite as much as you used to batting average always an issue, but we are getting them in drafts. You're probably drafting them for power only is what you're looking for. And um, you have any interest in Todd Frazier coming up this year? Is he worth even a gander at third base? Not very much. Third base is pretty stacked for the first 12 positions. And then if you play in really deep leagues, it gets pretty ugly. So if you play in like NFBC or any high stakes leagues, past about you know pick number 400 you start to look down that list and you're like there is nobody here 
And so, you know, in that kind of way, maybe as like a last resort before a tear drops off in, in deep leagues, maybe. But what he provides right now is not really something that's tough to find in, in baseball or in fantasy baseball. You hit it. He's a power only guy with a low batting average. And most of the times you can find that on the waiver wire or somewhere else. So not somebody who I'm, I'm too excited about drafting and, you know, not enough kind of in his profile where you think he's going to snap back into form like he was several years ago. It's crazy doing mock drafts and everything. How I know everybody talks about, but when you really actually see how many like 20, 25 homer guys there are late in drafts, it just, it stands out like a sore thumb and makes you really kind of focus on other aspects of the draft. Um, Have you done any early drafts yet? Like real drafts or are you kind of almost there? So I've done a couple slow drafts. I'm actually in one right now. Um, I've done the, the fantasy front office listener league, which was a lot of fun. We had 15 teams, fan track, slow draft. At least it was supposed to be slow draft. We ended up finishing it in like eight days or something crazy. So awesome. uh, no, I've done some drafts already. Um, I think three, all slow drafts and then a couple mocks here and there. Nice. Nice. What's well, about to pick up come March 1st, the great fantasy baseball invitational um, before we get into some players, I know I was. I woke up to a picture of my team and was like, "Oh, great! This or this is my like my league." Excited. How do you feel about yours? I don't even remember who's in yours. Um, yeah, I, it, it's. I'm a little bit uh, intimidated. Some of the guys that are in there are some heavyweights. Justin did a great job of putting this together. I mean, something that's really going to hopefully bring the industry together and give some of the the guys a shot to compete against some of the the best in our industry. So. It's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to be tough, man, because I know my league is is pretty stacked, and the rest of the guys for our podcast are kind of looking at it like, um, yeah, we better do some studying. Yeah, that was kind of my initials. I'm like, oh, great, NFBC champion here. We got this over here. Oh, this is awesome. <laughs> but you never know. It, 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 we'll see how it goes. A slow draft will be interesting. But um, one thing Keith does, one of his many things, is he does a lot of player profiles for uh, fan tracks, and even does a little bit of breakdowns for baseball prospectus and whatnot. So I'm not going to go over every one he's done because he's done a ton, but some of the more recent ones that kind of caught my eye, I wanted to kind of get a little more into briefly. Um, AJ Pollock of the D-backs, I've always been a big AJ Pollock fan. He can't stay healthy. He's always his problem, but he's one of those guys that's going to help you in you know three, maybe four categories some weeks. What's your thoughts on um, AJ Pollock this year? Pollock's profile is fine. His production's been good. I mean, he's, I think he's a, a top like 60 or 70 pick right now. He's sandwiched in with like Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich and uh, Byron Buxton, kind of those four outfielders going right by each other. And, you know, I don't prefer him at the top of that, that list, but mostly it's because of his health. I mean, he hasn't played in more than like an average of 100 games over the last four seasons. And it's been different issues. He had his elbow injury. Um, like two years ago at the beginning of spring training, um, he had a lingering issue with his shoulder again this year, I think it was, and some other things. So just kind of chronic issues. And I don't really think for the most part, health is something that you can predict. And I don't think just because a player's had two years of injury means the third year he's going to, but you also can't ignore it. I mean, he's had so many injuries over the past several years. If he does get in the lineup for 156 games, 150 games, he should absolutely be there as a top, you know, top 50, top 60 player, but you're kind of taking a risk at that high in the draft, taking somebody who hasn't played in more than 113, 115 games, three of the last four seasons. Yeah, definitely. Do you see him uh, coming into the season, hitting at the top of the order? Is he more middle back in? Cause I know that he seemed like he moved around a little bit, but for the most part, you'd see him up top. Yeah. He's either going to lead off hitting the two hole, uh, worst case scenario, he'll hit in the five hole, but you know they would have to add a significant more amount of offense to get him to move down that lineup. He's easily one of their their best two or three hitters. Gotcha. Uh, next up, I want to talk about a third baseman who consistent is a word you can use with Kyle Seager. Last year, the batting average took a dramatic hit compared to what you're used to, but the power numbers are very, very consistent year after year after year. What did you find out when you broke down Kyle Seager? Um, and what do you expect from him in 2018? Well, I, what I found out was his performance was linked to consistency and volume, which is good when you have it. 
But if this is the first year in six or seven years where he spends 10 to 15 days or even 20 days on the disabled list, instead of getting a top 20-ish third baseman, you're wasting a draft pick completely. So you need high volume from Seager if you're going to get any type of value out of him. And I just don't like banking on that type of a player where I need them to play 150 games to return value on a top like 100, 120 pick. So um, I, I'm staying really far away from Seager. I, I don't have enough upside or reason to believe in him to outperform his ADP. One thing I did hear, I think it was Rob Silver or somebody saying that something that could have been factoring into the bag average slumping is he's one of those guys that was really working on the uh, launch angle thing last season. Do you think there's anything to that? There, There is, and that's one of the things that I've learned early on in this season is the relationship between launch angle, contact, and batting average. So it seems like everybody wants to kind of increase their launch angle. Yonder Alonso, Ryan Zimmerman, uh, Rudnett Odor in 2016, Kyle Seager. You're seeing this all over the place. And a lot of the players, if they do it and they have enough contact to kind of spare. So somebody like Josh Bell, for example. Josh Bell has a really strong profile, high contact percentage, but hits a lot of ground balls. If he just increases his launch angle a tiny bit, maybe by you know, 15 or 20%, his power output could go, you know, through the roof and he has enough contact in his bat that he won't drop 20, 30, 40 points in his batting average. Seager, on the other hand, is not necessarily as safe from a contact standpoint. So his is more give and take as he gives on the contact or increases his launch angle. He takes away from his batting average. So either way, there's no win. There's no, Hey, if I swing for, a higher launch angle, I'm going to get power and batting average. You have to choose, which is similar to what Todd Frazier did a, a few years ago. So for in his example, it's you're not going to get the batting average and the power. You could have one or the other. Yep, it's fair enough. Um, the last guy I wanted to mention here, again, check out all Keith's work. He does a lot of really good work and covering a ton of players. He had some other ones that are really, really good we're not going to get to. But um, Anderson Simmons was kind of uh, out of nowhere. We always knew he had his – glove which was outstanding when he came up with the Braves they expected him to hit and just really never came to be this guy but last year you know hitting 278 with 14 homers stole 19 bags is this something we can look forward to on the regular or more regression back to what we used to see with Simmons no I actually like him to take another step forward this year and if you look at his per game performance for both the speed and stolen bases and the power for home runs He's kind of continued to tick up each of the last three years. Um, and, and he's got a really good high contact profile. He's a much better hitter than I think he gets credit. And part of that's because we see him on, you know, Sports Center and doing web gems every single night with his incredible glove. Well, my opinion on him is his athleticism has started to show through his bat. And it's a little bit later than what we would like to have seen, but he's an athletic freak. There's no reason why it can't actually click at 28, 29 years old and him to hit for another four or five home runs this year and be a 2020 threat. Yeah, I like it. Let's get in to the second base position. And as you told me before, the word you're using was interesting and I completely agree with you. There's a lot to like of this position. I, I, for one, I don't know if you meant interesting as it's kind of sneaky deep, but what makes it interesting to you? There's a lot of players that it's just it's interesting because you have guys at the top like Altuve, Jose Ramirez, D. Gordon, who are as close to a lock, in my opinion, to perform as anybody at any position. Um, then you have guys that are going, you know, like Whit Merrifield, who had a really, really strong year last year, but it's still kind of a small sample size. And then you have guys like uh, Jonathan Villar, who I view as you know, the, the wit 2.0, if you want to call it that, where he did the same thing, but in 2016. So we have a little bit of recency bias and that recency bias is the equivalent of like 110 picks. So there's a lot of interesting things going on here. You've got Yuan Moncada, who was the, the phenom who everybody wanted a year ago. And, and based off of maybe a, a little bit of a shaky rookie season, he's dropped and he's available for you know, a, a top 100, 150 pick. You've got Ozzie Albies, who 
the hype train is about to take off and you know his stock could rise another 20 or 40 picks during draft season so there's a lot of interesting name value and some guys who I think are over and and underdrafted no I completely agree there's a lot of names you it's almost one of those positions you can go early or you can wait and still have a guy that has a tremendous upside um, there's also the late picks for teams of middle infielders great spots for some of those guys um, let's go you already mentioned you know Altive Jose Ramirez D Gordon what's your just quick run through of your top 10 if you have it um, I don't have it off my off the top of my head and I haven't you know I've been doing a lot of writing so I'm, I'm hopefully going to slow down here and get a chance to do my own ranks and, and get those out soon but um, just looking at the top 10 from NFBC I'll kind of tell you who's not in my top 10 who's currently being drafted there um, Whit Merrifield's a guy who I think is being overdrafted a little bit. And, and I know that the guys on, on our show gives me a hard time all, all the time about, uh, you know, hating on Whit Merrifield and stuff like that. But he, he doesn't have the hit tool that I think can carry him on base enough where you can utilize his speed and get the steals out of him. So, and I don't think the Royals even believe in him enough to run him out there if he's struggling for 40 or, or 60 games. He was kind of a backup plan for them in 2017, and he performed, uh, you know, amazingly. But if he starts to struggle, I just don't think that he can stick either high enough in that lineup or get on base enough to really perform for a top 60, 70 pick. So he's kind of outside my top 10. Um, Jonathan Scope's still in my top 10, but he's another guy who I think is is a little bit iffy. A lot of his stats last year came from counting stats. And counting stats can be pretty variable season by season. And so if he struggles a little bit, like his plate discipline falls off, because that's something that is tied to him pretty tightly, if he can't get on base and he slides down that lineup a little bit, you drop some RBI production, you drop some run production, and all of a sudden, you know, a top five second baseman is is top 15. And that gets ugly pretty quick. Yeah, definitely. Uh, those are two guys I was glad you hit on because Jonathan Scope's one of those players that seems like you're either in on it you're not, and you know, having to take him around pick 62, 63, you know, 15 team league, you're talking early round five. And I'm not sure if that's the guy you want. He did have a phenomenal year last year, you know, hitting great uh, year, yeah. Hitting 293 with 32 bombs and 105 RBIs. I think the power is good, maybe more like 25 homer good, but I think that average has some serious regression in it. So that's interesting. And I agree with Whip Merrifield. Steals are great and all, but you got to get on base to steal. And he just, consistency just hasn't shown it to me at all. Um, and, and scope kind of reminds me of his teammate, uh, Adam Jones. Yeah. Adam Jones has kind of faked a high batting average for, you know, almost what eight or nine years at this point. Uh-huh. And he's a guy who I've looked into for, for fan graphs um, early in the season. And, you know, I kind of, I didn't like him too much coming into the profile and I leaving, I was like, you know what? He, he actually has a really good hit tool. So he hasn't, doesn't have a good plate discipline, but his, his bat to ball contact is phenomenal and, and he goes goes out there and gets you know 180 to 190 hits a year and maybe Jonathan Scope can do that but until he's done it like Adam Jones for two or maybe three seasons I have a hard time buying into it cuz so many other guys have done that for one season and then fallen off yeah definitely talking about a guy that came out of nowhere last year he's currently ninth second baseman off the board in NFBC going around 92 Chris Taylor this is a guy, you know, multi-position eligibility, which is nice. Coming off, again, a great season. But, man, oh, man, like, is this something we can really rely on? Or, I don't know, is this kind of – because he did it out of nowhere. He was No one ever knew who he even was before last season. What's your thoughts on Chris Taylor? You know what? I've actually had a couple shares of Chris Taylor early on in the season already. Uh, and, and part of that's because I don't really buy into that kind of second tier of, of second baseman. So I'm not a Javier Baez guy. Uh, Cano, you know, kind of doesn't do it for me. Whit Merrifield, we just talked about him. So if I miss out on like Daniel Murphy, Chris Taylor seems like kind of the next natural fit for me. And after that, you're kind of waiting and waiting and waiting until maybe Moncada and Albies there in around pick, you know, 150, 145, something like that. So um, I found myself kind of drafting Chris Taylor. So I kind of believe in what he did last year. I don't think it's too much of a fluke. Okay, that was interesting to, to hear that you're not – and I understand the reasoning for people not wanting to be in on Cano, but this is a guy that you used to have to draft super early, and now he's going about pick 88. You know, you look at him and Murphy. Murphy, sure, he hit 322. 
and Cano's average wasn't tremendous, 280, but they both had 23 homers, similar RBIs, runs scored. Murphy had them there. But other than that, they're pretty much similar players. You're going to get them a 20 picks or so later. You still want nothing to do with Cano, huh? No, it's it's not that. I just um, – he's not somebody who I've kind of drafted too much or, or looked at. And I, I did kind of get a little bit of a deeper dive into him about two weeks ago. And it may have swayed my opinion a little bit. His skill set is almost exactly what it was three, four years ago. He hasn't changed really that much. You know, the park's changed a little bit. And what's interesting about him is he goes back and forth between hitting a ton of fly balls and a ton of ground balls and a ton of fly balls and a ton of ground balls. And based on what he's doing from year to year, you have a situation where he hits, okay, he's 39 home runs one year. He hits 28 home runs. And so, you're really not sure which version of Robinson Cano you're going to get, but it's pretty tied to how many fly balls he hits. So last year was a little bit down. Maybe this year it's going to be up. And if it is, he's got the power in his bat still at the age that he is to produce upwards of 35 to 40 home runs. So um, he's somebody who I wouldn't be surprised one bit if he all of a sudden came back and was a top five second baseman this year. Okay. Let's talk about one of the more polarizing and not always in a good way second baseman. He's going 11th at the position, 110th overall. Rugnet Odor, talk about a guy that gives you all the power in the world, and I don't see him hitting 204 again because that was just unbelievably bad. Played every single game last year, which is more than you can ask for in a fantasy world. But – you can't afford that average where you have to take him. Do you have any desire? This guy, you know, 15 steals and with 30 homers, any desire on a, on a bounce back for Odor and taking a gamble on him? Um, Odor is probably the one of maybe four or five players that no matter how far they fall in my draft, I want absolutely nothing to do with him. And I, I've looked into him quite a bit this, this year. I wrote uh, a small or contributed to a small second base article for baseball prospectus. And, I think baseball and pitchers and pitching coaches and organizations have really figured him out. In 2015, 2016, he started hitting a ton more fly balls. His power kind of shot up from it was like 14 homer power to, to 25 and 30 home run power. And he was able to fake it during 2016 to hit for both average and power. But teams started throwing him a ton more changeups. And when you're out in front with that pull percentage and you're trying to hit fly balls and reducing your the amount of time your bat is in the hit zone, it's hard to it's hard to hang around for that curveball or that changeup. And so his changeup usage specifically in 2017 shot up by teams. And he had a hard time making contact. And with a hard time making contact, you can't really hit for batting average. So I really feel like teams have figured him out. And his only option, in my opinion, is to to go back to hitting for more contact, which is going to reduce his home runs, and that's not really a player that's going to help you too much. Not the other fair. the other side of him is the speed. You look at him and you're like, man, I can get 30 home runs and maybe I can get 20 steals. His stolen base percentage is absolute garbage. I mean, he, it's true. it's really bad. His success rate for his career, not just last year, the year before, is pretty atrocious. So. My main concern with him is if he can't get on base, he can't steal. And when he does get on base and he does steal, at what point does the team say, you know what, I just don't really want you taking off for second base because you're only getting there, you know, six out of ten tries. No, that's a very good point. All right, before I start naming off some more guys, we're kind of moving down into that sleeper long shot tiers. What are some of the sleepers you're targeting this year? Jonathan VR is, is one who I like to own in, in a few leagues. I did a uh, about a thousand plate appearance sample between VR and Whit Merrifield. Um, they're pretty much the same player, with the exception of VR. Within that same sample, has like twenty more stolen bases and like five more home runs. So if you take away the recency bias from last year, and they both kind of narrow back to what probably the norm is. So VR has a little bit better 2018, and Whit Merrifield has a little bit worse 2018. I, I kind of view them in similar similar fashions. So if I can get VR as a late round, you know, 20th round pick or something like that, and he does pop, that's, that's awesome. Cause he was a top 10 fantasy player, I think in 2016. So if I can get a potential bounce back candidate like him that late in the draft, if he doesn't pop, then I drop him after, you know, six or eight weeks. But 
it's it's worth the risk for me. No, I like that call a lot. I was he was on my 2016 couple of my teams that did very well. And last year I was all in on him. I was one of those guys, you know, like Nate Dawkins, a big VR guy, and we we drooled over him for a while, and it, it bit us hard. The one concern I have, because I agree with everything you said, and I'm definitely on board at pick 188 overall. I'd be ecstatic about that value. Um, are we sure he's going to be the everyday guy this year? Because he was getting moved around all over the place last year. That's probably the one thing that you have to worry about with with picking him. And I don't think I want him, obviously, that late in the draft as my primary second baseman. So, you know, if I take somebody who I think is pretty safe and you do end up with getting maybe a a top tier second baseman, I wouldn't add my middle infield until late and take a shot at somebody like him. So he's more of a compliment than, you know, somebody that you can really rely on at that point. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, you mentioned Ozzy Albies. This is everyone's darling. He's one of the big helium helium guys to start the season. Um, came on and had a phenomenal second half for the Braves. Everybody wants him this year. He's going to pick um, 145 right now. What are your thoughts on Albies coming to 18? He's pretty risky. I mean, if you don't get a, a big enough sample size on a player like him with kind of his – profile i guess you're just not really sure what you're gonna get I, I like the upside and i don't really want to pay for it especially with i think the helium like you're talking about i mean he could shoot up another 40 picks in the next you know month months worth of drafts so i probably won't end up with him if i'm gonna take a, a shot on a player like that um it's probably gonna be Moncada because yeah. i think I, I trust his hit tool just a little bit more than i trust albies and how young Albies is if the Braves don't get what they want to get out of him. Like, would it be crazy if after six weeks or eight weeks of struggling and they said, you know what, let's send him back down to double a and give him another 200 at bats to, to kind of shake it off. I mean, no, that's probably about right. That's why I was after, I was uh, wondering because Moncada going 12 picks ahead of him. You know, if, if people just look at his numbers last year, sure, they only great, but he, he really started to figure things out the last month, month and a half of the season. Looked like a really good ball player. Uh, he was running more. He only had three steals, but he, he was he, five attempts, basically, which I'll take. Get him moving because we saw that in the minors. He can't run, and he showed a lot of power in that second half. So I think there's a lot to like there. I like that that call because there's not a lot of Moncada chatter out there. They're, they're all going to Albies. And a guy on NFBC that sandwiched between them is Ian Happ, who – had a really, really good year. Just the playing time was a gigantic concern in Chicago. Do you have any yeah. desire to give Hap a chance, or do you want to just stick with Moncada or someone else? Um, not really. I, 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 you know, there's a lot of people that talk about Hap, and, and I think he's got a bright future. But you nailed it. I, I don't really trust what they're going to do as far as playing time. There, they have too many players. They have a weird rotation, and you know, it wouldn't shock me if instead of getting 150 games, he ends up getting 130 games. And that's, you know, that's a pretty tough uh, thing to swallow for a, a 12th or 13th round pick. Definitely. All right, let's move farther down in the uh, NFPCs here. Some other players. Ian Kinsler is up to 191 now. I remember when I was talking to somebody a couple podcasts ago, he was like 230. So people have realized that um, there's a lot of value there. I love the idea of Ian Kinsler that late. Sure, he had a down season last year and only hit 236, but still 22 homers, 14 steals going to a very good offense now in Los Angeles. I think if for some reason you don't want him as your your everyday guy, but for some reason you had to, to me, he's not the worst option down there. What are you thinking? No, definitely not the worst worst option. It, similar to what Kyle Seeger was tied to his kind of durability, consistency, and at-bats, Kinsler's productivity the last several years is tied to his run production. His run production is tied to his position in the lineup for Detroit. He's been at the top of that lineup. It's been a powerful lineup. It's turned over a lot, and he's scored an absolute ton of runs. So now with a few more bats in the lineup, and maybe he slides down a little bit if he doesn't hit in the top third, if he hits you know, in the bottom third, that could kind of hurt his production. But like you said, at the pick that he's going, you don't really have a lot of risk. So I think it's, you know, as a late-round guy, I don't have a problem with taking him at all. Yeah, let's talk about another guy that's going right around him. He's going to pick 198s right after him, I guess. 
if you people hear his name, they're like, there's no way you're taking Scooter Jeanette. But let's just talk talk it out. He played 141 games, hit 295 with 27 homers. Obviously not the norm for Scooter Jeanette. But I think we saw something more than what we were used to. What are your thoughts on Jeanette in 2018? I don't really know what to do with him, honestly. Yeah. He's he, he was kind of interesting last year, and the power came out of nowhere. There was a point in the season, I think it was, you know, after maybe 12 weeks or something like that, right after he had hit four home runs in one game. And you looked at the leaders for OPS or for slug in the in the league, he was like eighth or something crazy. And, and that obviously, you know, regressed as the season went on. But what he did in that short amount of time was nothing short of amazing. So um, not not somebody who I tend to kind of be drafting or that I'm kind of gravitating towards, but that late, again, if you if you believe in him, take him there because the risk is definitely, it's pretty low. All right, I, I can keep asking you guys. We'll move on to, um, you already mentioned Ruben and Odor is kind of a guy you want nothing to do with. What are some other kind of, I guess, top, we'll say 15-ish guys that you want nothing to do with the second base position? Um, he's definitely the one that kind of stands out. The other one we already talked about is, is Whit Merrifield. Cause I just, I, I think he's being overdrafted. If, if Whit was to be drafted like around pick 100, maybe even 115, I'd absolutely take him. Uh, but I've seen him go as high as pick number 60. And that's just crazy. Talk to me. Um, as far as the rest of the landscape goes, Marwin Gonzalez is, is kind of interesting there um, right after Ruben Odor. Amazing season. And I just, kind of worry about what his spot's going to be and whether or not he can continue that performance into a, a second year. Um, Paul DeYoung is kind of interesting. He's got uh, a, a fairly safe profile, but man, his plate skills are, are really not uh, not great. So I think if I remember his walk to strikeout is like, you know, 0. 0.30 or something crazy. It's not, not anything that you want to really brag about. And St. Louis has had an incredibly unlucky time the last three years with shortstops. Um, it was Peralta and then Diaz and then uh, DeYoung, and all three of them got off out, out of the gate in all three of those seasons and, and did amazing, but they just kind of fell off. And, and DeYoung fell off a little bit in the second half, but not enough to, to really kind of doubt him too much. Um, Jeanette, we just talked about, he's not somebody who I'm probably going to gravitate towards just because – Again, kind of a small sample size, weird profile, maybe not safe, stuff like that. But No, those are all fair. The the, the young one's one that I'm really curious about because he was tremendous last year on like the counting categories. But, yeah, like you said, when you look at the deeper analytics of the situation, there's a lot of red flags pointing that direction. I've heard as as far as Aledim as Diaz comparisons, and I don't want to go that far because that's, that's literally falling off a cliff from, what, from season to season. But – it is a little concerning. Maybe he worked on things the offseason. We'll see. But to, to duplicate think, what he did would be tough. I think the DeYoung thing, and I, I, I think I wrote him up for Fangraphs um, a week or so ago, just a, a quick hit. But I think in, in his profile, if I remember correctly, it was the power that I was kind of questioning. I think he may have gotten a little bit of boost in luck as far as the power is concerned because he doesn't have the exit velocity or the pull percentage or the swing profile to justify – maybe the power output that he had, which, I mean, he had a great year. I mean, to expect that again, I think would be kind of foolish of us. Definitely. Uh, let's talk about some prospects for the season, maybe that can help you now or for Dynasty in the future. A couple names getting bannered about is like Ryo Mondesi for Kansas City or Scott Kingery for Philadelphia. Uh, what are some of the guys you're looking into if you're going like a super deep league, a Dynasty league, stuff like that? Mondesi's appealing just because of the speed. Uh, if he's able to fake maybe a high or or medium on base or batting average for a half a season, the the steel production could be just amazing. So if he had a really good two months and stole 17 bases, that wouldn't shock anybody. Um, but it, the next month he may be absolutely atrocious. His his hit tool is pretty pretty raw and pretty kind of ugly for for the rest of his game. Uh, Scott Kingery is a little bit more interesting. I kind of find myself picking him late in drafts because I think he may be able to to get a decent amount of at-bats, and, and he's really been productive in the minors the last several years. 
Yeah, Kingery has been amazing in the minors, and they want to find a spot for him. But you have a guy like Cesar Hernandez who's played really, really well. What, just if you had to make a guess, what do you think Philadelphia does there? Because it's hard to see them just sitting Hernandez, and, and they want a lot to trade him because he's cheap and makes sense. So there's really nowhere for Kingery at the moment unless they move him to third or something. Yeah, but we still have a lot of time in in the preseason and guys are going to get injured. I think he's close enough to an everyday spot that I think when something happens, either production or an injury, I think he's just a natural fit to jump in there somewhere in the infield um, and and be able to get some at-bats. So I I think he's going to get well over 300 at-bats. It wouldn't shock me if he gets 450 at-bats this this next year. Um, I think he's ready. He's proved everything he can in the minors. So late in drafts, I think he has top, you know, top 15 second base upside. He's not being drafted like that at all. Yeah, good call there. Uh, we'll do a couple second base ADP debates, and we'll wrap up the position here. Um, you already mentioned your your love for some guys. Let's take a look at um, Jose Ramirez. He's going about 20th overall. And then you got a guy like D. Gordon going 28th. Uh, Jose Ramirez is more well-rounded, but D. Gordon, the steals he brings you can almost take you top three in that position right out the gate. Where would you where would you prefer to go out of those two? I'm going to go with Jose Ramirez. I think Jose Ramirez, based on his production last year and how good of a hitter he is, I really believe in him. And there was a point where I got in my research with him early in the season that I was like, is he a first round draft pick? I believe in him that much where I was like, you know what? He actually, are we discounting where his ADP is because of how quickly he rose, you know, a couple seasons ago? I think he's, you know, definitely a second round pick. He's being drafted 19th overall. I've taken him as early as I think 13 this year because I really believe in him. And if he performs, even like 90% of what he did last year, I think he's really close to a first-round pick going forward. I like it. And uh, these these could be de- debates of guys you don't want now, but I just kind of want to help people with the later picks coming up. So when you, we, we dig down to pick 202. You get Jose Peraza for the Reds. You know, he does bring speed, kind of like Billy Hamilton. you got to get on base first. But he's going to be an everyday guy now. They cleared up a spot for him. You feel like uh, Jose Peraza at 202 – or would you go with Scooter Jeanette at 198? I'm going to go with Peraza, and most of that's tied to, I think, really wanting steel production in, in baseball right now as home runs increase and steals seem to decrease. The value for steals becomes that much more great. And there's only a few guys, you know, maybe a handful that can give you 40-plus steals. Peraza is one of those guys. And so if I can get him late in the draft where I don't have to put a lot of risk or investment in him. Um, he's somebody who I can take a shot at for upside. Talk two veterans here going at 259 and 261. You got the new Miami Marlins, Starlin Castro. Really, really good year there in New York. He's the the unlucky one in this situation. And then Jason Kipnis. <laughs> this was a guy back in the day where we were drafting him around the D Gordon times, maybe even sooner. He's going 261 now. Technically, he's still their second baseman, but there's questions about that. If he's the everyday guy, do you prefer Castro or Kipnis? This is a tough one. Kipnis actually was a little bit unlucky with his power production last year, so you could tack on maybe another three, four, even five home runs to his profile, but he's not going to rebound to what he was, you know, let's say four, five, six years ago when we were drafting him early in drafts. Castro had an unbelievable season last year. I think an underrated season last year. And I kind of expect him to kind of continue to a similar path. So for me, I'm going to have to go Castro right here. Okay. And and the last one, it's not the most appealing names, but I wanted to bring this one name up because some news came out today, but you got Colton Wong at 376 who claims he wants to steal more bases this year. And he is going to be the everyday guy coming out of camp for now. And Joe Panic of the Giants at 377, who at worst is going to get you average, depending on where he hits in the order, could score you some runs. But other than that, not much to like there, but he is a, a stable average guy, Colton Wong, Joe Panic. Man, I really liked kind of Joe Panic to bounce back off injury in 2017. It didn't really 
result the way that I wanted to see it. And so I'm a little bit probably down on him if he can't do it uh, last year. I don't know that he can do it this year, but maybe maybe I'm wrong on that. But uh, Wong's kind of an interesting guy. Both are, are super late. Again, I would probably go Wong just because I feel like he has a higher ceiling than what Panic does. If Wong figures it out, he can contribute to runs. He might even be able to hit for a high batting average. Um, and I just feel like Panic is kind of a, a singular category there with um, not a lot of counting stats and definitely won't steal you any bases. Yep. And we're not going to debate these. I just want to mention some names. We don't, we don't even have to talk about them. Just for the listeners, um, super late, 400 picks or later, if you're desperate for a middle infield or a bench, you got like Adam Fraser for Pittsburgh, could sneaky speed for you there. Uh, you got Brandon Drury, if he gets an everyday role in Arizona, that's some nice power late. You got Yomer Sanchez. But a guy like Jed Lowry, I love just his consistency at, at pick 426. You got Ben Zobers farther down. Point being, I only name these off because there are a ton of guys that if you're going to take gambles and you need a middle infielder, there are a few back here if you need it. So real quick, I'll just jump in because Jed Lowry in, in, in a weird way is going to be my poster child for the 32-year-old breakout. I love so him. I, I think there is a perfect storm brewing with Jed Lowry over the past maybe 18 months where he's continued to improve enough. His launch angles changed a little bit. Oakland seems to be a place where a lot of players have kind of bought into the fly ball revolution. Mm-hmm. His plate skills have improved. He's way, way under the radar. But if he outproduced his ADP by 100 picks this year, that wouldn't shock me one bit. He's not going to jump up and be a top 10 second baseman, but to, to be your last pick in the draft, I really hope that he gets his home run production back, and I think he could really outperform his ADP. So he's somebody who I'm going to target in almost every single one of my drafts, especially the deep ones, as maybe my last pick or something like that. Yeah, and that uh, 15-teamer we did the other night, I'm pretty sure I got him super late. as like my middle infielder says, like a throw-in late. Um I've, I've always been a fan of him DFS wise. He's sneaky at times, but you know, you're going to get a guy in the mid four hundreds that hit two seventy seven last year with 14 homers, 69 RBIs and scored 86 runs. You're not going to find many people in the draft at that point in time, just not going to. And like you said, he's a guy that keeps getting better and better with age, which is not the norm, but he has proved it. So I'm glad you, you mentioned some of those things. Cause I, I really like the trajectory he's taking. He's almost a guy that I'd rather sit and wait for him than jump on Ian Kinsler. I, I, I'm big on a Kinsler bounce back, but I'm not thinking Lowry can be that far behind, and you're going to save a bunch of picks. I would rather own him, I think, straight up than, than yeah. Kinsler. I, I I just think he's probably the one player that I've looked into this year where I started to get deep, and the more I kind of uncovered with with his his bat, the more I was more excited. And then I was like, okay, well, now let's keep going. Let's keep looking. And everything that I saw, I was like, man, how it, how is he this far under the radar? And I know it's probably because he's 32 years old, 33 years old. He's not – I mean, but he can have kind of a, a nice little performance for, for that old and that late of a pick. I think he could really have a strong year. Yeah. Kensler 191 or Jed Larry 426. That is pretty darn good value. And then people forget that means what you're taking at 190, you're getting somewhere else a tremendous player at the time. So I love it. I love it. That's why I like doing these conversations, little nuggets like that. That is good stuff. We take this brief break from Bench with Bubba to talk to you about Rotoware. It's one of the best quality shirts in the industry. When I mean industry, all the clothing industry, the fantasy sports industry, because people are rocking it. They're loving it. You're seeing it in a lot of big outlets now. The no other brand can compete with Rotoware in terms of quality. They're premium blend fabric, super soft, comfortable, athletic fit shirts. They specialize with a special, special printing process. The design is part of the shirt. Literally, it is, it is dyed and bleached into the fabric. No thick ink. There's over 30 different designs right now. It's just crazy, all the stuff they have coming out. And there's more and more stu- stuff every time you turn your head. They have fancy football, baseball, hockey, basketball, some really cool DFS ones. But everything's great. They have men's, women's, and kids. Check them all out. Go to rotoware.com, R-O-T-O-W-E-A-R.com. Check them out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Rotoware. But the cool part, guys... 
If you use the promo code DGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S, you get 20% off your order. Again, promo code DGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S. Check their site out. Check them Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. They're always giving away free shirts. And then when you go to purchase the ones you want for you, your loved ones, your friends, your family, whatever, use promo code DGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S, for 20% off your order. Now back to this week's episode of Bench with Bubba. Let's do something for those of you that do follow Keith, and if you're not, please do immediately. Um, Keith loves to do blind comparisons. He loves throwing them out on Twitter, and usually, literally, I can I can picture him laughing as he types it sometimes because you look at it, you think you know everything, and you don't. Problem is, he's probably gonna know the ones I'm gonna give him because I made five up um, that are are pretty easy. Like they're not super sneaky, but they're kind of cool to compare and contrast. But before I do that. What kind of gets you thinking of who you want to compare? Is it something you're working on or what's going on in the thought process? Well, it's kind of always in the back of my mind because, like you said, I do enjoy doing them. And I, the reason I do them is because I think sometimes perception gets in the way of, of our, our, our picks and our process. And you have a player who you know has performed a certain way for, for a long time, and then all of a sudden a change comes through. And we don't quite realize that if you look at a little bit larger of a sample size and you compare two players, there could be a lot of benefit to to one side or the other. So usually the reason I do them is to kind of narrow perception in both directions. So you'll pick a player who's you know being drafted like in the 400s like Jed Lowry and then pick another player who's being drafted around pick 200. And if you look at the, the production over like you know, let's say 1,000 at-bats or something like that, and they look pretty similar. And so it kind of makes you kind of think a little bit like, well, wait a second, why is this guy 200 picks different than the other guy? And a lot of times it's because of perception. Yeah, and these are really fun. I, I enjoyed I was on podcast middle of last season, and you can get some really interesting ones there. Like I compared the current numbers for Eugenio Suarez and Chris Bryant, and no one could believe it was true. So there's some real interesting ones in the moment. But We'll do a. I got five of them here, and I have. I bet you'll get at least three out of the five, if not. Oh, four. I don't know, man. This is, this is tough. I did some on another show uh, about uh, a month or so ago, so it's tough. We'll see. Okay. Do you want the position, or do you just want to go blind? Uh, probably the position. I mean, probably the yeah. position. I'll give you we'll, that. We'll try it's it. hard. If it's, if it's too obvious, then, yeah. then we'll we'll go completely blind. We'll see how much information you're giving me here. This one's probably obvious, and maybe the other ones are a little trickier. But we'll start off with the first base position. Player A hit 273 with 32 homers, 109 RBIs, 99 runs scored, 10 stolen bases in 157 games. Player B hit 267 with 39 homers, 27 uh, or 97 RBIs, 87 runs, 10 stolen bases in 132 games. And you name the players. Holy cow, that was fast. Um, oh, I can slow it down. I can re- replay anything you want. Uh, off the top of my head, no, I can't name any one of those. Um, all right, give me the first guy's stats one more time. Yeah, 273 with 32 homers, okay. 109 RBIs, 99 runs scored, 10 stolen bases, and 157 games. Is the second one... Um, Man, is the second one Cody Bellinger? Correct. Okay. Uh, the first one you said ten stolen bases. Yep. What was the batting average? Two seventy three. Two seventy three. The Marwin Gonzalez. Anthony Rizzo. Okay. All right. These guys are going basically at the same pick in NFBCs. And I wanted to bring up the fact that Cody Bellinger did this in 25 fewer games. And I wanted your take on these two just real quick. We don't have to go deep on these. We don't have all night. But Eric Cross is a very, very good fantasy writer at Fantrax. And I had a great talk with him, and I'm looking forward to talking about him more. He is on the hill that Cody Bellinger is going to be better than Rizzo. And the way he made it sound is he doesn't think it's going to be that close. But I, I think he's at least coming back on that stance. How do you feel on those two? I think they're both actually pretty valuable, but in completely different ways. So Rizzo is probably the most consistent fantasy player in the game. So I did some kind of some consistency ranks, some risk ranks, if you want to call it that, um, a few weeks ago or maybe even a month ago. 
Rizzo by far is the safest player in fantasy that there is. Now that's not safe at his pick position. That's just safety overall that he'll perform based on what his past performance has been. Bellinger is kind of the exact opposite, but he had his ceiling is so enormously high. If instead of stealing 10 bases, he steals 22 bases, which is absolutely possible. He's a top three, top maybe two first baseman. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rizzo needs kind of more volume, but if he gets the volume, he's absolutely going to perform the way that he has. And Bellinger is a lot more riskier, but has a, a, a high ceiling, a higher ceiling. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. All right, let's go to the second base position. Okay. Something we talked about a lot tonight. Player A, 273 batting average. 23 home runs, 75 RBIs, 75 runs scored, 10 stolen bases, and 145 games. So not somebody that I'm I'm really excited about because the <laughs> the run production isn't great. The batting average is is okay, but 273 is not. Um, it, it's it's good, but it's not great. 10 stolen bases is is a contribution. Um, let's see, Baez couldn't have hit 273 last year. I don't think maybe had 10 steals. Uh, is it, is it Baez? Is that who it is? It is, it is Javi Baez. That 273 man, threw me for a curveball. Yeah. I was like, man, he probably faked a 273 batting average. Cause I don't expect him to hit that. Maybe moving forward. He's more of a 250 hitter in my opinion. And right now he's going 10th at the stolen base position. 102 overall. Now we're going to compare him to this second baseman who's hitting, who hit 272, 16 home runs, 47 RBIs. So that's the big hit to me in this, this comparison, 66 run scores, 12 stolen bases, but here's a caveat, only 128 games. So maybe factor in 20 more games. Things might even out a little more. Who is this? Who's player B? Is that his teammate Ian Happ? Nope. It can't be Austin Barnes, is it? Nope. Ooh, I'm striking out here. All right, give oh. me give me the stats one more time. Just run through them quickly. 272, 16 homers, 47 RBIs, 66 runs scored, 12 stolen bases, and 128 games. All right, I'll go, I'll go late for you. We'll take, uh, like, uh, you want uh, Solarte. Close. Solar- okay, who Close. is it? It is Josh Harrison, who's Ooh. going 165 picks after Javi Baez. You throw in 20 more games, to me, those numbers are pretty close to each other. And yeah, I think a, it, a, he'll smoke him in the steals. That's a good one. Yeah, so that's – I wanted to bring that one up because I haven't heard a lot of Josh Harrison talk, and people forget that he was hurt a lot last year and the years prior when he wasn't. Pretty good con- contributor in fantasy. So, Third base position. He hit 273, 31 home runs, 101 RBIs, 84 runs scored, 10 stolen bases, and 144 games. What was the batting average again? 273. It's almost a theme tonight. And the RBIs? RBIs was 101. Oh man, that's tough. Is it Travis Shaw? It's Travis Shaw. Well done. Okay, now the comparison. Hit 260, 26 home runs, 82 RBIs, 87 runs scored, and four stolen bases. So I don't know that I'm super interested in this player. Sounds kind of like either a Suarez or a Seager. Eugenio Suarez. Um, very, very good. Basically, I wanted to bring up the fact that do you feel Travis Shaw is going to continue this? Because, A, I've heard a lot of people call it regression. B, the part that concerns me with this gluttony of outfielders and the idea of putting Braun at first or whatever is going on around the infield, I think Hernan Perez might be a platoon because Shaw's inability to hit lefties at the moment. Do you feel that this regression is coming this year? 
he might have a little regression. I don't think it's going to really tank his value. Um, on the other side of that comparison, though, I actually I said I wasn't interested in this player, but I actually kind of am. Suarez, I think, has the ability to take maybe another step forward. His on-base percentage has grown you know, pretty progressively over the last three seasons. And the next step for him, if it grows another you know, 10 or 15 points or even more than that this season, that's a pretty good on-base. And he actually may jump up in the batting order and that's a that's a big trigger so as soon as he gets you know to to be maybe second in the order or fifth in the order that those counting stats could come pretty rapidly for him so he's somebody who before looking into i was kind of down on i put him in the same category as Seager, kind of a boring non-productive type but i think if he takes another step forward he could really be you know a top 15 third baseman easily yeah i like suarez a lot i agree i think he's going to really blossom even more and like you said higher up in the order now there's, there's a lot to like there i think and that ballpark does not hurt at all um let's do one more and we'll go to the shortstop position player a hit 278 14 homers 64 rbis 77 runs 19 stolen bases in 158 games so mainly stolen base production for this guy Um, is it Tim Anderson? Nope. It's a guy you should know pretty well. How many home runs? 14. Is it Elvis Andrus? Andrelton Simmons. Okay. All right. And he's going 188. Now, this comparison, is I'm, I'm intrigued. I think this player takes another step this year. But last year in 153 games, so five fewer, hit 277. 15 homers, 53 RBIs, 56 runs scored, and 14 stolen bases. In like 150 games, you said? 153, yes. Man, that's tough. I, I don't really know who that is unless it's like a, like a Chris Owings type or something like that. Um yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure who that one is. Orlando Arcia, the Milwaukee Brewers. Okay, that, I wasn't I wasn't too far off there with the batting yeah. average and, and a little bit of speed. What's your thoughts on him? Because if they keep him at the bottom of the order, it definitely doesn't help things at all. But that that line is going to be a lot better with Yellick and Lorenzo Kane. Is there anything appealing about him, or would you rather go Tim Anderson or Anderson Simmons than drafting right around him? You know what, Arcia is one of the guys who I was probably a lot more excited about going into 2017. He struggled with the bat even more than I think his production represented. A lot of the underlining stats of his are, are not real good. His contact's not great. His exit velocity is not great. His approach isn't great. So if you combine those three things, he would need to show growth in at least two of the three of those areas. And some of them, he just isn't going to grow. His, his exit velocity is not going to increase. You know, he doesn't have the body frame. He doesn't have the swing makeup to, to be able to grow a couple extra miles an hour on his, on his, you know, exit velocity. And if he did, it would come to the detriment of his contact. And he doesn't have enough to kind of spare with that type of swing adjustment. So um, I'm pretty far down on, on him. He's still really young. So if he made some strides this year, I wouldn't be surprised. But as of right now, I'm going to kind of sit back and wait and see. Awesome. Well, that'll wrap it up, Keith. Why don't you let everybody know what you got coming up in the pipeline? Um, all right, so you can check out our, our podcast. It's the Fantasy Front Office podcast. There's me and a couple other guys over there that have been doing fantasy baseball episodes for over a year now. So we put out uh, an episode almost every Wednesday. Um, you can check out my writing at Fantrax. Um, I've been doing player profiles, kind of some in-depth things to hopefully prepare you for your fantasy season. And then definitely come visit uh, on Twitter. Uh, it's fantasy underscore Keith. Um, I try and do a lot of things to kind of interact with everybody, like uh, put some blind profiles out there and some Twitter games and stuff like that. So definitely stop by. And if you have any questions, I'm always happy to kind of help out and, and help you win some leagues. Yeah, definitely take him up on that because he's very easy to talk to, always helpful. And the, the, the contests he does with RotoWare are outstanding. Uh, put your, your bullpens together or put your starting – 
rotation together. All those little things are always a lot of fun. So go check out all that and check out his work. But um, Keith, thanks for joining me, man. Another great discussion, as always. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Will do. Everybody that's Bench with Bubba, episode 70. We'll catch you guys next time.